0: Good morning and welcome to NTD.
1: Good morning, here are today's top stories. Former President Trump says it's a big win in Michigan. The GOP frontrunner's reaction to the state's high court, (coughs) excuse me, rejecting a bid to remove him from the 2024 primary ballot.
0: U.S. officials pressuring Mexico to tackle mass migration. Can it control railways and give out visas to stem the flow? An immigration analyst weighs Mexico's ability and willingness to respond to this request.
1: The U.S. announces what could be a final military aid package to Ukraine, at least until Congress approves supplementary funding.
0: A shocking phone call indicating Hamas terrorists could have control over U.N. relief operations in the Gaza Strip. That's as Hamas releases a video secretly recording Israeli troops before an unexpected turn of events. Jason Perry reports.
1: From real estate to the job market, we take a look at some of this year's biggest news in the business world.
0: Shen Yun Performing Arts kicks off its 2024 season in the U.S. Audience members in Houston, Texas, share takeaways with NTD.
2: This is NTD Good Morning, live from our global headquarters. Here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan.
0: Welcome to NTD.
1: Welcome, today is Thursday, December 28th.
0: Yes, and you know, Evelyn, with a quarter million encounters approximately in November and those thousands of migrants going through that caravan in Mexico, immigration could be the key issue in 2024.
1: Right, and it seems like Americans are not happy with that because Pew Research showed that only a quarter of Americans say the government is handling the situation well.
0: Right, and that pressure that we see with Blinken down in Mexico, that brings us to our top news.
1: Exactly, because pressures at the southern border continue. Senior U.S. officials met yesterday with Mexico's president about the surge of illegal immigrants.
0: NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the talks, which included Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas.
3: Both sides in the talks face pressure to reach an agreement after past steps failed to stop the influx. As many as 10,000 illegal migrants a day have been encountered at the southern border this month. Mexican President López Obrador has said he is willing to help limit the surge, but wants progress in U.S. relations with Cuba and Venezuela, two top sources of illegal immigrants. Blinken wrote on X after the meeting that the U.S. is committed to partnering with Mexico to address shared challenges, including managing the unprecedented irregular migration in the region, reopening key ports of entry, and combating illicit fentanyl and other synthetic drugs, Back up north, city mayors discussed the illegal immigrant crisis in a virtual meeting. New York City Mayor Eric Adams issued an executive order Wednesday to deal with the emergency, requiring charter bus companies transporting migrants to give a 32-hour notice and arrive only between 8.30 a.m. and 12 p.m. Monday through Friday. We cannot allow buses with people needing our help to arrive without warning at any hour of day and night. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson blamed the crisis on Texas Governor Greg Abbott.
4: The reckless, and quite frankly, the unsafe behavior of the governor of Texas has caused a great deal of trepidation, to say the least.
3: As the talks took place, the march of migrants to the U.S. continued. This Venezuelan migrant says he gave everything he had to keep up, saying
5: being at the back of the pack is dangerous. I had to move forward, move forward, always asking God for help to strengthen me.
3: Mexico says it has assigned over 32,000 military troops and National Guard officers to enforce immigration laws. But officers made no attempt Tuesday to stop a caravan of about 6,000 migrants from walking through Mexico's main inland immigration inspection point near the Guatemala border. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: And as U.S. officials put pressure on their Mexican counterparts to drive down migration via relocation, railway control, and visas, we see how much of an impact this can have with Mark Krikorian, the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Let's see if we have Mark there. Great to see you, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on and weighing in on this. How effective can Mexico be in stemming illegal immigration to the US?
4: Mexico can help. Their actions can make a big difference. The problem is the reason for this flow is our administration's policies of releasing people when they're let across the border. So there's a kind of magnet and there's only so much Mexico can do if we are essentially undermining its own efforts. Because even though the Secretary of State and the Homeland Security Secretary, when they were down there, said, you know, we need to work together to stop this, the reason this flow is happening is the Biden administration's catch and release policies, where most of the people who turn themselves in or are caught are simply let go. If that's the case, People are going to keep trying no matter what Mexico does. So as uh, Vice President Harris supposedly was uh, you know, uh, in charge of addressing the root causes of this flow of people, the root cause is this administration's policy of releasing these people into the U.S. Until that changes, there's only so much Mexico can do. And frankly, why would Mexico help us? if we're not taking the steps necessary to control our own border first.
0: I see what you mean, if there is an incentive and and an ability for migrants to come to the United States, then they will if they think that they can pass through the Southern border. But so we've established that there needs to be something that happens on the U.S. side, but why isn't Mexico already doing the steps taken to eliminate the mass migration here that we're seeing?
4: Because uh, they're essentially trying to extract some kind of concessions from us Uh, in, you know, when under the Trump administration, uh, we applied pressure to Mexico made threats about applying tariffs to their trade, which is very important to them uh, exports to the US and it's important to us too, but it's more important to them. Under this administration, uh, the Biden administration has made clear that they are the weaker party, they are not willing to use um, the leverage they have. And so Mexico, which is its own country and has its own interests, is using the leverage that essentially we have given them. And um, the migrants aren't staying in Mexico for the most part. So as long as they keep going, as long as this administration lets them in, Mexico is not going to take the serious steps that it would need to take to make a difference here. So why wouldn't they use? their leverage against us. They're not, they don't have the same interests as we do, they're their own country. And the president of Mexico's job is to pursue Mexico's national interests. So why wouldn't they try to extract concessions from us in order, you know, in exchange for doing something to help us?
0: Okay, and so Mark, in addition to that, I want to point out that According to a study about two thirds of Americans believe that Mexico and the United States should work together to stem the flow. So does Mexico actually have the wherewithal to carry out these rail controls and these visa provisions to stem this mass migration?
4: They don't have the capacity to just stop it if we don't change our own policies, but they can lend a hand. You see what I mean? If we're all pulling in the same direction, they can in fact, a better job at their own southern border, a thousand miles south of our border, in slowing the flow, deporting more people. So yes, they can help in a significant way, but they can't do it on their own if we have offering these people an incentive to keep coming, and frankly, they have no responsibility to protect our border if we're unwilling to do it ourselves.
0: Right, and we have seen back in August 2021, Mexico used that air bridge to fly migrants from northern Mexico to southern Mexico. So they have taken some steps on this, but I see what you mean. There needs to be more from both sides. Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies, thank you for your time.
4: Thank you.
1: A win for former President Trump as the Michigan Supreme Court keeps him on the ballot in the key battleground state. At the same time, Special Counsel Jack Smith aims to narrow Trump's defense in the January 6 case. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with the update.
6: Special counsel Jack Smith is trying to limit evidence and arguments that Trump can make before the jury in his federal trial related to the January 6th related case. Prosecutors claim that Trump has tried to spread irrelevant disinformation and will try to politicize the trial. Specifically, Smith is concerned that Trump will distract the jury by making claims of political prosecution such as raising the question as to whether or not this legal case against Trump was launched in coordination with the Biden administration, or the question of whether or not there were undercover agents present at the Capitol on January 6th, or questions of alleged foreign interference in the 2020 presidential election. All of these topics, Jack Smith wants to be off-limits at that trial, which is what he's asking of the D.C. judge. Meanwhile, proceedings in this case are currently on hold because of an appeal over the question of whether or not presidential immunity applies in this case. Meanwhile, Michigan Supreme Court today did rule that Trump can stay on the ballot in that state, rejecting an appeal to try to disqualify him. Michigan's court stated that they would not review the question as to whether or not Trump should be disqualified based on accusations that he incited an insurrection. This is the exact opposite from that Colorado ruling, which will likely go to the Supreme Court. We can expect to see several other rulings on this issue coming out over the coming weeks and months, as there are challenges to Trump's candidacy in several other states. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina and T D News.
1: The GOP frontrunner commended the court's decision to reject the disqualification attempt. He says
0: it was very expected and called it a big win in Michigan in an interview with Just the News yesterday.
1: Trump says it makes Colorado's Supreme Court, in his words, an embarrassment all over the world. He also called it very, very bad for Colorado. Trump also
0: commented on Special Counsel Jack Smith in his J6 indictment. The former president told Just the News that Smith is trying to stop him from introducing exculpatory evidence. That evidence could include Capitol Police security failures. He said it could also be to defend former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser.
1: In the interview, Trump said he offered 10,000 National Guard troops or more prior to January 6 because he knew it was going to be a big event and that if they accepted even two to 500 people, January 6 wouldn't have been like it was.
0: Trump also commented on Smith's recently failed bid to the Supreme Court, saying, quote, he loses because he goes too far.
1: Coming up, a Trump attorney joins us later to weigh in on the Michigan Supreme Court's decision. He'll explain the significance of the ruling to keep the GOP frontrunner on the ballot.
0: And also coming up, the U.S. announces what could be a final military aid package to Ukraine, at least until Congress approves supplementary funding and more terrorist tunnels near schools and hospitals uncovered in the Gaza Strip. Israel's military releases more evidence of their latest find.
1: 20 nations in the Red Sea task force, but only 12 of them admitted publicly. Why are so many allies reluctant participants in the maritime effort? We break it down for you. Good to have you back. The U.S. announced yesterday what officials say could be the final package of military aid to Ukraine. That's unless Congress approves supplemental funding that is stalled on Capitol Hill.
0: The military aid package is worth around $250 million and will be pulled from Pentagon stockpiles. It includes air munitions, artillery, ammunition and medical equipment.
1: According to a Pentagon spokesman, no more funding is available to replace weapons taken from department stocks. The Ukrainian Security Assistance Initiative Fund is also depleted. Meanwhile, President Biden is urging Congress to pass another $110 billion aid package.
0: More than half the requested package would include aid for Ukraine. It also includes a further $14 billion in aid for Israel and $14 billion to secure the southern border, with the remainder allocated for security needs in the Asia-Pacific.
1: Israel's military released a video of more tunnels yesterday found near a hospital and a school in Gaza. The footage shows the entrance to a tunnel shaft near the Rantisi Hospital. The IDF says it's now found terrorist tunnels in, in and around multiple hospitals in Gaza. It says Rantizi is just another Hamas stronghold, used to connect and move weapons and terrorists through Gaza to be used against Israel. And Israeli forces have released a recorded phone call. They say shows Hamas controls United Nations relief efforts in Gaza. Meanwhile, Hamas released a video that secretly recorded Israeli troops before an unexpected turn of events. Entities Jason Perry has the latest on the Israel-Hamas war. And just a quick warning, this report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing.
2: On Wednesday, Hamas terrorists released a video of what appears to be Israeli troops recovering the body of a deceased soldier while other troops were standing guard. A terrorist inside a residence then throws a grenade at them and opens fire. Hamas also released footage of another terrorist inside a residence firing an explosive at an apparent Israeli tank. Hamas terrorists not only control the Gaza Strip, but according to a recorded phone call released by the IDF on Wednesday, Hamas also controls the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA. In the phone call, a Gazan resident explains that from the day Hamas rose to power, they took control of everything. After such a significant statement, the IDF officer asked him to clarify what he meant. And when it comes to humanitarian aid, he said Hamas provides it to their own people first. We reached out to UNRWA for comment, but we didn't get a response before airtime. Meanwhile, Hamas security escorted this convoy of trucks carrying humanitarian aid, including fuel, as it made its entry into the Gaza Strip from Egypt on Wednesday. Israel's government spokesperson, Elon Levy, said this
7: on Wednesday. U.N. agencies are currently struggling to distribute aid at the pace that Israel is inspecting it. Unfortunately, to date, the U.N. aid mechanism in Gaza has been woefully unsuccessful because it goes through UNRWA. Aid simply isn't reaching the people who need it, because Hamas hijacks it and UNRWA covers up for it. He also gave
2: this warning about Hezbollah's continued attacks across Israel's northern border.
7: We are now at a fork in the road. Either Hezbollah backs off from the Israeli border, in line with UN resolution 1701 from 2006, or we will push it away ourselves.
2: Levy's comments come just a day after Hezbollah terrorist in Lebanon fired an anti-tank missile at a church in northern Israel. The attack injured two Israeli Christians, according to the IDF. Then, when Israeli troops responded to the injured, Hezbollah fired another missile at the church, injuring nine Israeli soldiers. Just after the attack on Tuesday, the IDF spokesperson accused Hezbollah of trying to drag Lebanon into the war Hamas had started. He said that if the attacks continue, Hezbollah will bear the consequences and responsibility of an unnecessary war, and it could bring unwanted destruction to the people of Lebanon. Jason Perry, NTD News.
1: President Biden hoped to present a strong multinational response to Yemen's Houthi attacks on the Red Sea shipping with a new maritime force. Now, many allies don't want to be associated with it publicly or at all.
0: Two allies, Italy and Spain, made statements appearing to distance themselves from the maritime force.
1: The Pentagon says the force has more than 20 nations safeguarding billions of dollars worth of commerce, but Reuters reports that nearly half of those countries have not come forward to acknowledge their contributions.
0: Those contributions can range from sending warships to merely sending a staff officer. Public anger over Israel's Gaza offensive explains some of the reluctance by political leaders.
1: A recent YouGov poll found majorities of Western Europeans, especially Spain and Italy, think Israel should stop military action in Gaza.
0: Israel says it won't halt fighting until all hostages are freed and Hamas is completely destroyed.
1: Pro-Palestinian demonstrators blocked morning traffic yesterday around L.A. International Airport and New York's JFK International Airport. The demonstrations ended with dozens of arrests. The Los Angeles Police Department said protesters threw a police officer to the ground and attacked uninvolved people in their vehicles.
0: Port Authority Police Department in New York said 26 people were arrested for disorderly conduct and impeding traffic. That was during a protest along an expressway inside JFK Airport.
1: NYPD plans on having a large presence on hands during the uh, Times Square New Year's celebration. Mayor Eric Adams says he's sure that pro-Palestinian protesters will try to interrupt the event.
0: The Federal Trade Commission said yesterday it filed a lawsuit against the largest Christian university in the nation. The FTC accused Grand Canyon University of deceptive advertising, illegal telemarketing, and misrepresenting the school as a nonprofit. The FTC says the school deceived prospective doctoral students about the cost and course requirements of its doctoral programs, among other things. The lawsuit follows a nearly $38 million fine on the university in October by the Education Department for also misrepresenting the costs of its doctoral programs. The Education Department says fewer than 2% of doctoral graduates completed their program within the advertised cost. Grand Canyon University President Brian Mueller said at the time that the Biden administration was unfairly targeting the university. And we're turning to some in-depth analysis of the Michigan Supreme Court's ruling that allows Trump to stay on the ballot. And we're bringing in Will Sharf, a former federal prosecutor and attorney for President Trump. Thank you so much for your time today, Will. How significant is this ruling?
8: We think the Michigan Supreme Court got it right here, the same way that every single other court to address this issue, other than the Colorado Supreme Court has. The idea that President Trump should be held off the ballot because of a wildly flawed interpretation of the 14th Amendment is frankly un-American. I think it, it calls into question our constitutional system of governance, our system of elections. I am hopeful that the Supreme Court in the coming days Uh, will interfere in in what the Colorado Supreme Court attempted to do, Uh, will stay that terrible judgment, and will ultimately rule the right way that President Trump has every right to be on the ballot, and I believe he will be on the ballot in November 2024.
0: Well, numerous politicians and analysts share your view and say that in Colorado, voters were disenfranchised given that they can't even write in Trump's name on their ballot there. But what were the procedural grounds on which the Supreme Court in Michigan decided to reject this challenge?
8: The Michigan Supreme Court essentially said that the case was not ripe for its review at this time. Uh, in doing so, it allowed a lower court judgment that allowed President Trump to remain on the ballot to stay in effect. Uh, the Michigan Supreme Court essentially punted, said that it did not want to wade into this issue, that it didn't see a need for it to wade into this issue. And I think that was the right decision for the Michigan Supreme Court.
0: Right. And, Will, as we know, they. Michigan Supreme Court decided not even to go into whether or not Trump engaged in insurrection, just dropped it on those procedural grounds. Do you think it's likely that the U.S. Supreme Court will rule once and for all for all these state court battles?
8: Yeah, I think the Supreme Court has to wade in here. Uh, When you have left-wing dark money nonprofits like Crew that have seeded this litigation in so many different states, you're going to end up having a conflict of jurisdictions the way that we now have with Colorado versus all of these other courts that have ruled the other way. I think the U.S. Supreme Court has to get involved. Uh, I think they will get involved. And in light of the strength of President Trump and the Republican Party's arguments for why he should remain on the ballot, I don't think it will be a particularly close, ca- close case at the Supreme Court. Will, what is the
0: risk of having state courts decide who citizens can vote for?
8: Well, I think part of the, part of the problem with the Colorado decision in particular is state courts deciding without even a modicum of due process that in that case you had president trump was forced through a a truncated administrative proceeding as opposed to a full trial i mean the argument here is that president trump should not be allowed on the ballot uh because he's guilty of insurrection but i would remind you that president trump has never been even indicted of insurrection uh much less convicted of a crime like that The only time he's ever been subjected to true adversarial legal process on even related charges was his second impeachment uh, where he was acquitted by the Senate. So the idea that he should be held off the ballot for a crime that he quite simply has never been even alleged to have committed, much less proven to have committed, uh, it it smacks of unfairness. It, It strikes to the heart of due process. It's certainly not the constitutional design as set out in the 14th Amendment. And that's why I think the Supreme Court Uh, will side with, with all the courts in the country other than Colorado on this issue.
0: Right. And Trump has never been indicted of insurrection in any jurisdiction, as we know. And of course, peacefully and patriotically, that quote from Trump on January 6th was omitted from the indictment in the election and J6 case. So Will Scharf, former federal prosecutor and attorney for President Trump, thank you for coming on the show.
8: Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day.
1: The Colorado Republican Party is fighting to keep former President Trump on its March primary ballot. It's asking the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the state Supreme Court's unprecedented ruling to kick Trump off the 2024 ballot.
0: The Colorado GOP was a party in the Colorado Supreme Court case. Trump has not yet filed his appeal but is expected to soon.
1: The Colorado judge who presided over the trial granted the state GOP's request to intervene in the case shortly after the lawsuit was filed.
0: The party asked the U.S. Supreme Court to take up the case in its filing yesterday and restore Trump's name onto the Colorado ballot.
1: The state court's pause on the ruling, set to expire January 4th, will now be extended indefinitely until the U.S. High Court announces if it will take up the appeal. If it does, the extension will continue until a final decision is made. Up next, Republicans ramping up the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. They sent a letter to the White House Counsel. Find out what they're seeking.
0: 2023 has been an impactful year with only a couple of days left. We take a look at some of the year's top news stories across the globe for you.
1: Good morning and good to have you back. A development in the impeachment probe of President Biden. House Republicans are investigating if Biden tried to prevent or discourage his son Hunter Biden from complying with their subpoenas.
0: They say such obstruction would be a punishable crime.
1: Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan sent a letter to White House Counsel Edward Siskel yesterday. They're seeking all documents and communications sent or received by employees of the president's office regarding Hunter Biden's deposition.
0: Republicans issued subpoenas to Hunter Biden for a deposition set for December 13th. The first son did not appear on the date. He instead went to the Capitol grounds and made a public statement there, saying he would not comply with the subpoenas.
1: The House Ethics Committee says it has opened an inquiry into Representative Sheila Sherfiles mccormick
0: The subcommittee will investigate if she violated any laws or the code of official conduct over alleged violations of campaign finance regulations and other rules.
1: The Ethics Committee says the investigation will focus on the Congresswoman's 2022 special election and re-election campaigns and whether she failed to disclose any required information.
0: They'll also look at if she accepted volunteer services for official work for someone not employed by her office. The committee said the case was referred to them by the Office of Congressional Ethics.
1: With 2023 drawing to an end, we look back at some of the biggest news stories of the year.
0: NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has the third quarter summary of our special multi-part series, July to September.
5: Riots in France enter a fourth day on July 1st, after 17-year-old Nahel Merzouk was shot and killed by police after trying to drive away during a traffic stop in a Paris suburb. France's Interior Ministry deploys 45,000 police officers to ward off the worst crisis of President Emmanuel Macron's term since the Yellow Vest protests. The ministry reported over 700 officers injured, 5,000 vehicles burned in the streets, and close to 1,000 buildings vandalized, looted or set ablaze. As the Russia-Ukraine war rages on, President Biden announces cluster munitions will be sent to Ukraine. The controversial weapon is banned in over 100 countries, partly for dangers posed to civilians years after a conflict. Russia hits Ukraine's southern port of Odessa with airstrikes in late July, and launches missiles at the Ukrainian city of Kriviri. Ukrainian officials say at least five people are killed in the attacks and dozens injured. While in the Middle East, Israeli forces hit the city of Jenin with drone strikes in an operation to destroy terrorist infrastructure and weapons. The IDF reports underground explosive caches were found, one hidden in a tunnel under a mosque. A military coup in Niger at the end of the month ousts President Mohamed Bazoum. Leaders of the coup declare presidential guard chief General Tiani as the new head of state. August, the month of the mugshot, former President Trump is charged with a four-count indictment August 1st over disputing 2020 election results. Special Counsel Jack Smith accuses Trump of conspiring to defraud the United States,
8: conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding.
5: Trump pleads not guilty August 3rd and tells reporters it's a very sad day for America after leaving court.
2: This is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America.
5: Trump is hit with a fourth set of criminal charges in Georgia August 14th, accusing him of trying to overturn the state's 2020 election results. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, bringing a grand jury indictment against Trump and 18 co defendants, Trump's historic mugshot was released August 24th, after being booked on felony charges at an Atlanta jail. Russian mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin is listed as a passenger killed in a private jet crash. Russian authorities say genetic testing confirmed the Wagner boss was dead after spearheading a mutiny in June. An unmanned Indian spacecraft lands near the south pole of the moon, in a mission seen by many as critical for lunar exploration. In September, a 6.8 magnitude earthquake in Morocco left close to 3,000 people dead. The Moroccan government reported almost 60,000 houses damaged, over 30% collapsed. A collapsed dam in eastern Libya during Storm Daniel flooded and destroyed parts of the coastal city of Derna. The UN confirmed over 4,000 people died in the disaster and 40,000 displaced. Poland announced it would no longer arm Ukraine to focus on building up its own stocks of weapons instead. An exodus of over 100,000 Armenians begins after Azerbaijani forces take control of Nagorno-Karabakh. Armenia accuses Azerbaijan of ethnic cleansing. Hundreds of Armenian protesters took to the streets and called for their prime minister's resignation after Armenian forces surrendered the region.
0: Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Yeah, that Georgia mugshot—hard to forget.
1: Big deal. Yeah, Trump raised seven million after that.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> we have these reviews.
1: Absolutely. So coming up, from the real estate market to job markets, we continue looking at this year's most significant stories in the business world. And more updates on tech. Apple Watch could be back on the shelves, and the
0: cost of your Amazon Prime videos might increase. That and more from the host of Entity Business, coming up.
1: Good to have you back. We have NTD business host Don Ma with us now to give another business news recap of 2023.
0: We'll be talking about the housing and job market. So what were some of the big moments this year in the real estate market, Don?
9: All right, let me just start off and say that uh, one of the biggest things is that we uh, actually avoided a real estate uh, commercial real estate crash. Uh, If you remember, there were actually a lot of predictions about that, a lot of headlines. Uh, predicting something similar to that but it, oh, yeah. but it seems like uh people started coming back to offices uh vacancy rates hovered around 20 uh, percent in 2023 but then uh big companies including blackrock Amazon, you know what done
0: um we're getting a little cue that we start hard to hear you maybe the mic's not on um yeah flip it You yeah. <laughs> got valuable oh, yeah. information we want to make sure everyone hears it
1: that's right, but I do remember those scares about the housing market, but please continue. Yeah. If you. I think. Yeah, as
9: I was saying, not that uh, our technical difficulties have been resolved, <laughs> is that uh, I wanted to start off saying that uh, we avoided a, re- a commercial real estate crash uh, this year. And one of the uh, bigger predictions uh, from headlines was that we might have one this year. But it seems like uh, people started coming back to offices And uh, vacancy rates hovered around 20% for most of 2023. And then uh, it started to come down because big companies, including uh, BlackRock, uh, Amazon, Salesforce, uh, they ordered workers to go back to offices uh, somewhere around three days a week uh, this year. But, you know, other than real estate, uh, commercial real estate, let's talk about the housing market. Um, Went through a lot this year. Or maybe I should say not much actually happened because this is the year essentially the housing market froze over uh, because of high interest rates. And interest rates, uh, uh, mortgage rates rather, were the dominant story this year of 2023. Uh, The year kicked off uh, with mortgage rates around somewhere 6%. uh, And then by October, uh, they topped actually 8%. And because because of that, uh, um, there were more sellers deciding to... uh, Potential, actually, sellers deciding not to sell because they w- they want to hold on to uh, their uh, existing mortgages because they were pretty low. And then it priced out potential buyers as well. So, you know, it, it really slowed down the housing market. Mm. And uh, another thing this year was that housing prices or um, that... H- Refused to come down, so home prices stayed very high this year, according to realtor.com prices started at a median around uh, $403,000 in January and steadily rose and it actually topped at uh, $445,000 in June. Uh, so yeah, just a brief overview of uh, real estate and, and uh, commercial real estate.
1: Absolutely, and I think that was not the only thing everybody had their eyes on for a while, right? So what were the big moments in the job market?
9: Yeah, it seems like uh, the job market this year was actually uh, pretty stable. Unemployment rate uh, kept low uh, compared to historical standards despite the Federal Reserve's uh, hike, uh, rate hiking campaign. And we saw actually solid job growth uh, month to month. Uh, That was uh, basically for the whole year, uh, pretty solid. And uh, the job market started off this year pretty hot and then started to cool down steadily, uh, started to normalize. And one of the top points of discussion for this year was how tight the job market was. Uh, For a lot of the year, there were nearly two job positions open for every one person looking for Mm -hmm. a job. So many employers actually faced uh, challenges hiring. Uh, I mean, if you remember... uh, uh, the word uh, labor shortage uh, was a lot of, uh, uh, talked yes. a lot about this year. And of course, in 2023, we saw big layoffs in the tech sector. We all remember that. That includes major players like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Meta, uh, Twitter, Spotify, and more. Uh, tech industry saw somewhere around 240,000 jobs uh, being laid off uh, this year. Uh, And just one more thing I'll mention this year, a big discussion was remote work. We all remember that Um, companies started asking employees to start to return to offices. Uh, That's including uh, the CEO of J.P. Morgan. He's actually a remote work skeptic, he said himself. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, also the same thing. Uh, Even Zoom's leadership uh, ironically wanted people to go back to the office. Um, But yeah, that about sums up uh, this year.
0: That's great john yeah and some breakthroughs here like even qz.com's reporting that unemployment stayed below four percent for 22 months straight that's a 50-year stretch that they're breaking that so what about the apple smartwatch what can you tell us there
9: yeah uh, so, some uh, big news coming out from uh, that uh, front yesterday apple can actually resume sales of its smartwatches for now yesterday an appeals court paused a government import ban on the watches so the ban was imposed in a patent dispute over medical monitoring Uh, technology apple filed an emergency request asking the u.s court of appeals to halt the order and apple is waiting for the u.s customs agency to decide if uh, redesigned watch versions infringe on patents and can be imported that decision should come uh, around january 12th so you know we'll see
1: Yeah, they didn't miss out on right about the Christmas sales time, though, so it must be a bummer for them. Well, how about Amazon Prime? Will we actually have to see some price changes next year?
9: Yeah, potentially, because uh, if you're an Amazon Prime video subscriber and wanting to avoid their upcoming plan to show ads during movies, it's going to cost you an extra $2.99 a month starting in January. Yeah, I mean... That's already on top of a $139 annual cost of a subscription of Prime or the $8.99 a month standalone subscription. If you choose not to pay the extra fee, ads will start showing on January 29. So be prepared mm. for that. Yeah, it's pretty serious.
0: Newsweek's reporting that they're facing backlash, Amazon is, and some people are even calling to boycott the company.
9: So do you have anything else for us, Don? Yeah, just one more. Uh, The New York Times sued OpenAI and Microsoft in Manhattan federal court yesterday. The suit accused them of using millions of Times articles without permission. And that was to help train chatbots that provide information to readers. The suit alleges OpenAI and Microsoft use the newspaper's content for free. Uh, OpenAI and Microsoft have said that using copyrighted works to train AI products amounts to fair use. Uh, that's a legal doctrine uh, governing the unlicensed use of copyrighted material. Yeah, mm, pretty Lots serious. of
1: things to figure out there on the AI front. Thank you so much for coming in today, Don Ma, as always.
9: Yeah, my pleasure. And stick around Shen
0: Yun Performing Arts has kicked off its 2024 season in the U.S. The New York-based classical Chinese dance company is again wowing audiences with a brand new production. We have audiences' reactions in a moment.
1: Welcome back. Shen Yun Performing Arts has kicked off its 2024 season in the U.S., the New York-based classical Chinese dance company is, again, wowing audiences with a brand new production.
0: Audience members in Houston shared their impressions of the performance with NTD. Here's what they had to say about the experience of seeing Shen Yun.
5: Shen Yun Performing Arts wrapped up its first three performances in Houston, Texas on December 27th at the Jones Hall for the Performing Arts.
10: I love it. I love a good technical performance. Um, I also liked how much morality is brought into uh, the performance. It's very elegant and it's different from a lot of the modern companies and things that are going on today. So it's really nice.
5: Professional dancer and model Brooke Ashland says Shen Yun has some of the best techniques she's seen and called it top of the line.
10: I very much felt inspired to leave a better person. <laughs> um, again, back to the morality part, I really liked how much they emphasized kindness and being there for your fellow man and just kind of bringing humanity back into the everyday. And so I felt it was very inspiring and it was also really nice to see it at Christmas time too. <laughs> I
11: thought the performance was brilliant. I mean, it was very athletic, but also really motivational and and. Uh, very lyrical. I love the dancing and the acrobatics, but I also love the storytelling, the messaging, you know, the, the sort of message of, of kindness and thoughtfulness and also just how important a story is. You know, like why do we tell ourselves stories, you know, to figure out who we are and what is good in the world.
5: Shen Yun Performing Arts' Stated Mission is reviving China's traditional culture before communism. Shen Yun can be translated into English as the beauty of divine beings dancing. The award-winning producer says she thinks it was the way different scenes captured different eras, styles, and feelings that she loved, and that, quote, the sense of preserving culture was very sincere and powerful.
11: And we're not only learning about Chinese culture, but getting a sense that we're becoming part of it by participating in this event, you know, and being part of helping to maintain that line of history. And, um... Pulling that story together.
3: For me coming from a different culture and coming over here today, I
0: learned something new. i have learned a history about a culture. I learned about what's what you see on the TV and what you see over here in the place are different things. So it was really, you know, informational, educational, and also peaceful for me.
11: I felt like I, I I'm leaving in a really good mood. <laughs> and just the sense of of um People pulling together to make something beautiful, and that just you know, beauty itself is is an important goal, and an important yeah. And I think the other thing was just a sense of um, a sense of good in the world. I think we've become so divisive, and the show really was a was a really beautiful reminder to to treat each other better.
2: It was very energetic. Performers were really good. I would definitely come back and see it again.
10: It was really nice my i just feel very uplifted and inspired to go forth being better
2: <laughs> ntd
5: news houston texas
1: all these different takeaways that people had but it does sound great to watch something uplifting during the christmas time just perfect i, I look forward to seeing this performance this year
0: yeah well they're coming to lincoln center april 3rd to the 14th so a lot to uh, be excited about and you know we've yeah. all seen the Shen Yun billboards once in a while but what is it really like to be a Shenyun dancer?
1: Yes, uh, here's a sneak peek at our special interview into the lives of two siblings and what it takes to perform on stage as a principal Shenyun dancer. Yep. So, what is it like? What was your childhood essentially like? Because that involves a lot of hard training and work and discipline at such a young age.
12: Yeah, I mean, once you start dancing, it's like it ha- you flip your world upside down you're training for hours every single day so you have a lot of basic dance training but on top of that also rehearsals so every year we're putting on a completely new performance That means we're on the road for six months and also at the base in new york for six months and it's just a lot of training very physical but also a lot of mental it's very mental because um... i mean learning movements is tiring it's hard and you have to use your brain just as much as your body
1: i imagine as as a 13-year-old boy, you also need to build up that discipline. Was that something difficult to do? Uh,
12: definitely very difficult, but it's something you almost... You need to find what drives you to be a dancer. Like Just going into it because you like it, that's how you start. But as you dance, you know, or doing anything in life, you have to find when things get tough, what really drives you. And for me, even though I was young at the time, the mission of Shin Yun is actually something that is really amazing to revive a culture that was almost destroyed, to revive 5,000 years of traditional Chinese culture. And I think when you think about it, even when things get hard, that is actually something that's very inspirational for a young person, and it really drove me through some of the tougher times.
1: That is incredible that you understand this. How long have you been dancing now, and what keeps you going now?
10: Um, I started dancing when I was 10 years old. I would say that um, there's so many aspects to it. I definitely agree that it's it's something so it's hard to wrap your mind around at first at such a young age that I'm going to be reviving traditional Chinese culture. Um, but as I got more into it, I realized that it's just something really. It's something that's so much bigger than myself, and it was a really special feeling to know that I'm part of something bigger and I'm part of a team.
0: Such an insightful interview.
10: Yeah, and the full version will be aired
1: tomorrow here on NTD Good Morning.
0: Well, it probably takes a lot of work to get those backbends done.
1: Oh, absolutely. I cannot imagine how the, how many years flow into that. And it was very interesting, though, because Marilyn and William, they I think Marilyn said she was 10, William said he was 13. And it was interesting to listen to how they just saw somebody on stage and they were like, wow, I want to mimic that or I want to learn that to really find the deeper meaning behind why they're doing it and their what drives them, and yep. growing up on stage, so to speak. So, very interesting interview.
0: All to be part of a bigger cause.
1: Exactly. All right, um, we will come back soon with the second part of our broadcast. We'll be back in one minute, so stay with us.
13: Want to know what's really happening around the world? Join us for a deep dive discussion with our expert panel on International Reporters' Roundtable.
2: NTD News, the fastest growing independent news source in America, bringing you breaking news from around the world. Expert analysis, investigative reporting, and original award-winning documentaries. We're known for our uncensored China coverage you won't find anywhere else. We cover the stories that affect you and shape our world without the political noise. We report from the heart with you in mind. Watch us right here on NTD News.
0: Good morning, welcome to NTD.
1: Good morning, here are today's top stories. Senior U.S. officials travel to Mexico as a caravan of migrants heads towards the U.S. border. Meanwhile, mayors of multiple Democrat cities meet to discuss the illegal immigration crisis.
0: Former President Trump says it's a big win in Michigan. The GOP frontrunner's reaction to the state's high court rejecting a bid to remove him from the 2024 primary ballot.
1: House Republicans demand documents from the White House on Hunter Biden communications, a new probe into President Biden around his son's defiance of a recent subpoena.
0: We take a look at what adventures in space await us in the coming year. It will include several missions, including a return to the moon,
1: Burnaby Village Museum celebrates the holidays with a vintage twist. We take a look at a reconstructed 1920s village and how they celebrate the holidays this year.
0: You've heard of therapy dogs, but have you ever heard of therapy llamas? Well, now you can find them in a US airport.
2: This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan.
0: Welcome to NTD.
1: Welcome, today is Thursday, December 28th.
0: And you know, I'll say, I was traveling over the holidays and luckily it wasn't too stressful to where I needed a therapy llama. (laughs)
1: Although was it really? I could have needed a therapy llama, anyways. (laughs) All right. Anyways, we will head to our top news first. The U.S. announced yesterday what officials say could be the final package of military aid to Ukraine. That's unless Congress approves supplemental funding that is stalled on Capitol Hill.
0: The military aid package is worth around $250 million and will be pulled from Pentagon stockpiles. It includes air munitions, artillery, ammunition, and medical equipment.
1: According to a Pentagon spokesman, no more funding is available to replace weapons taken from department stocks. The Ukrainian Security Assistance Initiative Fund is also depleted. Meanwhile, President Biden is urging Congress to pass another $110 billion aid package.
0: More than half the requested package would include aid for Ukraine. It also includes a further $14 billion in aid for Israel and $14 billion to secure the southern border, with the remainder allocated for security needs in the Asia-Pacific.
1: Pressures at the southern border continue. Senior U.S. officials met yesterday with Mexico's president about the surge of illegal immigrants.
0: NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the talks, which included Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas.
3: Both sides in the talks face pressure to reach an agreement, after past steps failed to stop the influx. As many as 10,000 illegal migrants a day have been encountered at the southern border this month. Mexican President López Obrador has said he is willing to help limit the surge, but wants progress in U.S. relations with Cuba and Venezuela, two top sources of illegal immigrants. Blinken wrote on X after the meeting, that the U.S. is committed to partnering with Mexico to address shared challenges, including managing the unprecedented irregular migration in the region, reopening key ports of entry, and combating illicit fentanyl and other synthetic drugs? Back up north, city mayors discussed the illegal immigrant crisis in a virtual meeting. New York City Mayor Eric Adams issued an executive order Wednesday to deal with the emergency, requiring charter bus companies transporting migrants to give a 32-hour notice and arrive only between 8.30 a.m. and 12 p.m. Monday through Friday. We cannot allow buses with people needing our help to arrive without warning at any hour of day and night. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson blamed the crisis on Texas Governor Greg
4: Abbott. The reckless and, quite frankly, the unsafe behavior of the governor of Texas has caused a great deal of trepidation, to say the least.
3: As the talks took place, the march of migrants to the U.S. continued. This Venezuelan migrant says he gave everything he had
5: to keep up, saying being at the back of the pack is dangerous. I had to move forward, move forward, always asking God for help to strengthen me.
3: Mexico says it has assigned over 32,000 military troops and National Guard officers to enforce immigration laws. But officers made no attempt Tuesday to stop a caravan of about 6,000 migrants from walking through Mexico's main inland immigration inspection point near the Guatemala border. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
1: And for more insights, let's bring in Laura Rees. She's the director of the Heritage Foundation's Border Security and Immigration Center. It's good to see you this morning, Laura. First, I want to talk about um, the meeting. What exactly is it that the U.S. wanted from mes- Mexico, was asking from Mexico, and what is it that Mexico is asking in, ret- in return?
14: Well, what the U.S. wants is to stem the flow, at least so the numbers are a little bit lower. This is about bad optics for the Biden administration because they've had repeated days of encounters at 10,000 illegal aliens or even higher. And that's historic, Uh, more bad records that that, uh, President Biden has achieved. Uh, Also, because CBP, Customs and Border Protection, had to pull agents uh, to deal with the high number of illegal encounters, uh, they shut some of the ports of entry, including railroad crossings. And so those companies and, and, and those involved with legitimate trade and travel compa- complained considerably to the governments. And so um, again, the U.S. is looking for Mexico's help to, to lower the, the flow, not to stop the flow, mind you, Meanwhile, uh, Mexican President López Obrador knows we're headed into an election year and knows this is going to be a big issue for President Biden. So he's looking for more money uh, for Mexico and also Venezuela and Cuba. And so he's going to extract what he can in exchange for the appearance of tightening down on, on the flow of illegal immigrants. Right, so you're saying he's obviously
1: using the election, trying to extract things. So what kind of progress or what kind of development do you expect um, will come out of this meeting?
14: Very little. And uh, what's telling is what Secretaries uh, Blinken and Mayorkas didn't do. They didn't come out and hold a press conference after the meeting. They didn't even put out press statements. They each put out a tweet Uh, that could have been written before the meeting. I mean, no information came out. Secretary Blanken said, we're committed to working with our partner. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas said it was a productive meeting. I mean, there's no substance, there's no detail. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that it was a successful meeting, at least by what a little information we have. So again, I think for the Biden administration, this is kind of going through the motions. Uh, They wanna look like they are going to clamp down on illegal immigration. But really, I mean, they've been at this for three years. They could have stopped this long ago and they haven't. Uh, They are still intent on having considerable numbers of illegal immigration come to the US. Uh, The Biden administration wants a mass amnesty from Congress. And so they're gonna Mm -hmm. be put into a more difficult situation heading the next 12 months uh, dealing with the election um, to make it appear like they are enforcing the law a little right. bit. Right, So, and I want to unpack a little bit. So
1: Mexico was pushing the U.S. and saying that the U.S. should get to the root cause and to pr- improve relationships with uh, Venezuela and Cuba. So can you unpack that a little bit? How effective and or maybe how important would that be in solving this issue?
14: Well, the, the root cause is a term that the left likes to use to make it sound like uh, these leaders are going after the, the push factors or the sources of illegal immigration, and, but the, you cannot ignore the pull factors that attract people to come to the U.S. in the first place, which includes the fact that they are released into the U.S. and that they are able to work even though the law prohibits illegal aliens from working here. Uh, Nonetheless, the Biden administration does give work permits, and that's the biggest pull factor there is. So if they truly want to go after the quote unquote root cause, they need to shut off those magnets that attract millions of people from all over the world here. But what these leaders are really after is more money. Now, keep in mind for for Mexico and and for other countries as well, they get quite a a good deal from the U.S. We take in their labor, uh, which is a a release valve for them, for those countries. We allow the illegal migrants not only to work here, but to send billions of dollars of remittances back to their countries. And in the case of Mexico um, in 2022, remittances made $36 billion Um, It was a new record for Mexico. And we continue to send foreign aid to these countries. Right. Um, So they are receiving lots of benefits from the US and yet they seek even more.
1: Right, I hear what you're saying to focus on the poll factors here. So thank you so much, Laura Reese. I really appreciate your time this morning and uh, for you to unpack some of these things. Thank you. And a win FOR FORMER PRESIDENT TRUMP AS THE MICHIGAN SUPREME COURT KEEPS HIM ON THE BALLOT IN THE KEY BATTLEGROUND STATE.
0: THE GOP FRONT RUNNER COMMENDED THE COURT'S DECISION TO REJECT THE DISQUALIFICATION ATTEMPT. HE SAYS IT WAS VERY EXPECTED AND CALLED IT A BIG WIN IN MICHIGAN IN AN INTERVIEW WITH JUST THE NEWS YESTERDAY.
1: Trump says it makes Colorado Supreme Court, in his words, an embarrassment all over the world. He also called it very, very bad for Colorado.
0: Trump also commented on special counsel Jack Smith in his J6 indictment. Smith asked the U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin yesterday to bar Trump from introducing what Smith calls irrelevant evidence. That evidence could include Capitol Police security failures.
1: In his motion, Smith accused Trump of trying to inject politics into the trial. Smith says Trump should also be barred from making arguments or framing questions to advance a theory of selective or vindictive prosecution. Trump said of Smith's recently failed bid to the Supreme Court, quote, he loses because he goes too far.
0: The former president told Just the News that Smith is trying to stop him from introducing exculpatory evidence. He says it could also be to defend former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. In the interview, Trump said he offered 10,000 National Guard troops or more prior to January 6th because he knew it was going to be a big event and that if they accepted even two to 500 people, January 6th wouldn't have been like it was.
1: The Colorado Republican Party is fighting to keep former President Trump on its March primary ballot. It's asking the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the state Supreme Court's unprecedented ruling to kick Trump off the 2024 ballot.
0: The Colorado GOP was a party in the Colorado Supreme Court case. Trump has not yet filed his appeal, but is expected to soon.
1: The Colorado judge who presided over the trial granted the state GOP's request to intervene in the case shortly after the lawsuit was filed.
0: The party asked the U.S. Supreme Court to take up the case in its filing yesterday and restore Trump's name onto the Colorado ballot.
1: The state court's pause on the ruling, set to expire January 4th, will now be extended indefinitely until the U.S. High Court announces if it will take up the appeal. If it does, the extension will continue until a final decision is made. And a development in the impeachment probe of President Biden. House Republicans are investigating if Biden tried to prevent or discourage his son, Hunter Biden, from complying with their subpoenas.
0: They say such obstruction would be a punishable crime.
1: Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan sent a letter to White House Counsel Edward Siskel yesterday. They are seeking all documents and communications sent or received by employees of the president's office regarding Hunter Biden's de- deposition.
0: Republicans issued subpoenas to Hunter Biden for a deposition set for December 13th. The first son did not appear on the date. He instead went to the Capitol grounds and made a public statement there saying he would not comply with the subpoenas. And stay with us, first-time homebuyers get some hope with the Fed signaling it could be dropping interest rates in 2024. We have tips and expectations for the new year.
1: We take a look at what ventures in space await us in the coming year. It will include several missions, including a return to the moon.
0: Burnaby Village Museum celebrates the season with a vintage twist. We look at how this reconstructed 1920s village in British Columbia, Canada brings in the holiday spirit after the break.
1: To have you back. The Fed appears to be ready to drop interest rates next year, giving first-time homebuyers some hope for 2024.
0: Here's a look at what you can expect and some tips if you're looking to buy.
1: After
13: years of record prices, historically high mortgage rates and massive market demand, some experts say sidelined first-time homebuyers could have more hope in 2024.
2: It's going to get cheaper going forward, but I'm not going to call it easy Or less painful.
13: Economist Joe Brusuela says the Federal Reserve is poised to lower interest rates next year, which could make homes more affordable. According to the US National Home Price Index released this week, House prices hit a new record high in October. That's when mortgage rates were above 7% the highest levels in 23 years. That plus historically low inventory continued to push up home prices. So what can you do if you're looking to buy in 2024
8: when you get back in the market. Houses are going to come and when there's a lot of demand, they're going to go fast. Somebody else is going to be ready to move. You want that person to be you.
13: Real estate investor David Green has these four tips. One, improve your financial position to increase your chances of getting a better loan, like paying off debt, saving more money, and improving your credit. Two, step up your market research, get realistic and consider what you can actually afford and what your priorities are.
8: You can change everything about a house except where it's located so really prioritize the houses in the areas that work the best for you not the houses that look the best
13: three once you get your loan approved get your loan officer and your realtor working together and finally consider waiting until winter time that's when home sales traditionally slow down so there will be less competition
1: 2024 is set to be a busy year for space travel On top of new rocket and spacecraft launches, the upcoming year will also see the first manned lunar mission in over half a century.
0: So let's take a look at what space events we can look forward to in the new year. Here's Entity's Kostevinas to tell us more.
15: The space shuttle may now be retired, but its successor is very much in the mix. At only 30 feet, the Sierra Space Dream Chaser is a quarter of the size of its predecessor. It's expected to dock at the International Space Station this spring.
16: It's first uh, spacecraft, the Dream Chaser, into orbit to chase down the space station, drop off, start dropping off stuff, and down the road they foresee perhaps tourist flights or even uh, once commercial space stations come about to replace the International Space Station, um, they could be delivering crews to that.
15: But the Dream Chaser is not the only new spacecraft to be inaugurated next year. Blue Origin is introducing its New Glenn rocket, named after John Glenn, the first American astronaut to reach orbit. Unlike the New Shepard being used for space tourism, New Glenn is a launch vehicle meant to orbit the Earth.
16: Now, what's going on with Blue Origin in Texas is they go up and they come down, you know, 50, 60 miles, barely touching space coming right back down, taking experiments, and also tourists, and also researchers, that sort of thing.
15: American aircraft giant Boeing is also set to have the first crewed flight test of its reusable Starliner capsule designed to take astronauts to the International Space Station.
16: It's flown solo without anybody on board to the space station, but it's encountered all sorts of problems, software issues, mechanical problems. The latest is parachute issues, uh, wiring that was flammable uh, with the tape, all kinds of things. Well, finally, everything seems to have gotten taken care of.
15: NASA is expected to launch its Europa Clipper in October, a spacecraft dedicated to the study of the Galilean moon, Europa. Scientists believe an underground ocean lies under Europa's icy shell, which could potentially be conducive to life. The end of 2024 will also see a crewed mission around the Moon, called Artemis II. It follows the unmanned Artemis One lunar mission in 2022.
5: I would be just as excited to sit at home and watch in my pajamas, but to hear NASA actually give the authority to go for translunar injection, it's just amazing that we're sending humans back to the Moon.
1: And with the holidays in full swing, we take a look at the Burnaby Village Museum in Vancouver, Canada.
0: This reconstructed 1920s village contains replica buildings, demonstrations, and a carousel for the kids.
7: Burnaby Village Museum celebrates the holidays with a vintage twist. The village general stores were often used by residents as a place to get everything they needed.
2: We're used to serve as a hub of the community.
7: Inside this Chinese herb shop, the shopkeeper stores all the products inside these apothecary cabinets. They contain dried goods and herbs. The shop also provided medical services and was a place for early settlers to gather and relax. Next door is the Burnaby Post, where newspapers were printed a hundred years ago. The Platen Press still produces beautiful bookmarks. The blacksmith's shop is still able to make horseshoes today. The shop is fully equipped with a forge, anvil and hammers to make them. All right, here we go. The demonstration is fun and educational and a favorite among children and adults. The historic streets are also lined with old real estate companies, a former Royal Bank of Canada and a delicious bakery shop. This train built in 1912 was the main connection between Vancouver and nearby cities. The museum's most famous exhibit is the C.W. Parker Carousel, also built in 1912. It was originally constructed in Kansas and after many years ended up in Burnaby, Canada, where it was restored in 1989 and is still in operation today.
0: Oh, those roaring 20s, a lot of developments in fashion and culture there.
1: Right. I realized, I, as a kid, I used to love these you know, time capsule experiences, but I'm realizing I've, I'm still really into that. <laughs> Looks fun. All right, we're moving on to a slightly different topic. You've heard of therapy dogs, but have you ever heard of therapy llamas?
0: Portland International Airport in Oregon has brought the cuddly animals in to help travelers relieve the stress of airport hustle and bustle during the holidays.
1: The llamas named Benny and Prince roamed the airport terminal to the delight of travelers who could not resist a photo opportunity with the fluffy animals.
0: And a visit to Portland Airport three times this December was an opportunity to bring comfort to travelers who needed relief from the hectic holiday rush in a busy airport.
1: This not sure so what cute. I would think
0: if I saw a llama in an airport. Maybe something went wrong. <laughs>
1: But they seem so friendly. This, this one girl got a kiss from the llama, so they, did, they don't s- seem to spit or anything, luckily. But it seems like they saw maybe what's going on at the Berlin airport and were like, ah, we need to top that. And then they brought in llamas.
0: Really making use of those animals to yeah. decompress.
1: <laughs> Which is probably needed. All right, we have to wrap up our show now, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. So stay tuned for our news today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.
0: And I'm Kevin Hogan.